Thank you, Pastor, and good evening, church family. Good to see you this evening. Appreciate you coming out. And very quickly, before we go any further, um, if you would like a handout to take notes on and you forgot to get one or you need a pen, just raise your hand real quick. Those ushers are going to scamper that up. And uh, again, just if you need one, just slip your hand up. And as they're doing that, I want to say, first of all, thank you for your hospitality. A very, very special thank you for the gift bag that was given to us, some uh, spending money to defray some some of the little expenses that occur when you're out and about, and we appreciate that so much. Appreciate the meal that was provided yesterday. We got to go out with your pastor, his dear wife, the staff. Wow. I mean, I've got so many good sermon illustrations for the next church I'm coming to. (laughs) Yeah, you can imagine... You can imagine. No, you can't. But yes, we had a wonderful time. Thank you for that. A very special thank you to Jim and Tammy. We had a wonderful meal tonight and appreciate the hospitality and the friendship that goes all the way back for almost 35, 40 years. Unbelievable amount of time. And we just had a great time tonight and we want to say thank you. Uh, Also, where where are my seven sisters? Where are the seven sisters? Just slip your hand up. How many of the seven are here? One, two, three... All right, do we have any more? Probably some tuning in online, maybe. All right, they slipped over during the tent meeting that we were at with Brother Corey Mears in Wenatchee, and and they got the moniker, the Seven Sisters, and I said I'd be looking for them when we come through. So shout out, appreciate that, and uh, we appreciate the help you were at that meeting as well. All right, Revelation. Let's go there. Revelation chapter 5, all the news networks missed it. But the Word of God is still boldly declaring it. A king is coming. Amen? And a king is coming, and he's just not any old king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And if you're saved, he's your king, and he's my king, and he's coming again for you and me. Revelation 5, I'll let you remain seated. I want to read a few verses and move into the thoughts tonight. In Revelation 5, verse 1, it says this, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Now that word worthy there means who deserves it, all right? It has the idea of deserving it. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beast and the elders. The number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, say those next three words with me out loud, worthy is the Lamb, four words. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Yesterday morning as we begin this series of thoughts out of the book of Revelation, you and I collectively got to see in chapter 1 the portrait of our King. We saw Jesus Christ portrayed not as the Son of God in His humanity, but as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, 
the one which is and which was and forever shall be, the Almighty God. But then last night we saw the perception of our King. Not what we see of Him, but what He sees and knows of us. And we came away with a statement last night, just a, a kind of a, a statement that just summed it all up, and it was this, you are who God says you are, not who you say you are, or even who others may think you are. When God says this is who you are, He knows everything about you, that is who you are. Amen? So we saw the perception of the king. But tonight, with the Lord's help, I would like to look at the power and the possession of our king. I want to consider tonight the power and possession of our king. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God and our Father, the God and Father of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to you in your Son's name tonight. and We ask your blessing on this time. Lord, we pray you would help us set aside the busy thoughts, the distractions, the cares and the concerns and the burdens, and help us tonight to be fastened upon your Word and to see your Son in a very unique way. I pray tonight if there is one among us who isn't saved, I pray tonight they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But for each of us that are saved, Lord, help us tonight not to be hearers only of your word, but, but Father, help us by your grace to be doers of your word. I pray you take your word and apply it to every heart and home that's represented. And we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The power and the possession of our king. Here in chapter 5, we see chapter 5 focuses on the issue of ownership. And it answers the question, who does all of this belong to? Notice a book is brought forth, uh, probably in the form of a scroll. And look at what's said in verse number 1. The Bible says in Revelation 5.1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Here we see what I believe to be a legal document is brought forth. And notice, first of all, it is complete. Seven seals speak of perfection. It speaks of completeness. Whatever this document is, it is complete. Second of all, it is completely filled front and back. There's no room for additions. There's no room for corrections. Whatever this document is, it's complete, it's settled, and it's final. Now, to understand legal affairs, the Jewish day, if you could go back to Jeremiah 32 with me, and notice with me the custom of the day and how the Jews would complete legal transactions. It, it ties in a little bit to what I'm preaching tonight. I want you to see this. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, now here in Jeremiah chapter 32, a legal transaction is going to take place. Jeremiah is being instructed by God to buy his cousin's field. Notice what's said in verse number 9, Jeremiah chapter 32. He says, And I brought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence. The word subscribed there uh, means recorded. We do that today. We record things in courthouses and legal transactions. He says, I subscribed the evidence and sealed it. And took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. Look at verse 14. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and this evidence which is open. Notice these unique instructions. And put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. Here we see a legal transaction is taking place, and the process the Jews would go through to complete a legal transaction, many of the things are the same for us today. First of all, if you want to just jot it down, there was a purchase. 
There was an exchange of commodities. In, in this case, money was given for a piece of land. Second of all, there was a title transfer. The title would get transferred. We do the same thing today when we sell a vehicle. We transfer the title to the new owner. Thirdly, there were witnesses. We call them notaries sometimes, but there were witnesses that attested this transfer took place. Number four, it was then recorded. We do that in the courthouses for many documents, marriage certificates, licenses, and so forth. There's a courthouse recording process. And then finally, it was stored. And in this case, in the case of land, it was stored in a unique way. The Jews would take that original document and they would put it in a clay jar and they would bury it in the corner of the property. The reason they did that was sometime over time, the property would become vacant. The owner would leave for a period of time. And in that owner's absence, people had a tendency to move in. And because the property was vacant, they would claim the property as theirs. Now, we have a term for those kind of people. We call them squatters. They would come in because the property was vacant. They would take the property over. They would set up shop. We saw that happen in the 08 meltdown in a very great way. Many people getting into vacant properties, and they would just call it theirs then. And what would happen here is, is when the legal owner or family member would return to settle the obvious dispute that would take place, the clay jar would be dug up from the court corner of the property. The legal documents would be brought forth, and the squatters would be removed, and if necessary, removed by force. Go back to Revelation chapter 5. We'll tie this thought in again shortly, but here in Revelation 5, I believe in verse number 1, this document is nothing less than the title deed to the creation of God. And there's any title, a search takes place, a title search to answer the question, who does all of this belong to? Notice in verse 2, and I saw a strong angel, Revelation 5, 2, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? Who deserves all of this? To open the book and to loose the seals thereof, and no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So, who does all of this creation and this world belong to? Could I say as a historian that kings and rulers and potentates for centuries have risen up and by force and conquest reached for that scroll, reached for that book and declared this is all mine. Men such as Hitler Men such as Cyrus of Persia, men like Alexander the Great of Egypt, by force and conquest, have declared, this all belongs to me. But, as the sands of time slowly slip through the hourglass of life, their grip has inevitably loosened. And time has relegated every single one of them to obscurity and insignificance. Unworthy to read it, unworthy to keep it, unworthy to hold it, they fade away and are so soon forgotten. Should you visit in the desert of Iran and go over there, in the midst of uh, the Iranian desert stands a sarcophagus over 30 feet tall, three stories in height. Blasted and weathered by time, it bears the following inscription, quote, O man, whosoever thou art and whencesoever thou comest, for I know that thou wilt come, I am Cyrus. And I won for the Persians their empire. Do not therefore begrudge me this little earth which covers my body. 
in life. He held the world in his hands. His word brought life. His word brought death. He was the king of the world in his day. But in death, he begs the peasants to let him rest in peace. One word emanates from that 30-foot weathered sarcophagus in that desert, and it's this word, unworthy, (laughs) unworthy. You weren't who you really thought you were. You are unworthy. Here's a title, search goes forth. John weeps. They cannot find the owner. And then someone says, John, we found him. (laughs) John, we found the one who deserves it all. He alone is worthy. And it says here in verse 5, one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open that book. And John says in verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Verse 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. And notice in verse 11, all of heaven joins in, 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands collectively saying, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All of heaven proclaims, Worthy is the Lamb. Notice with me, they don't say worthy is Buddha. They don't say worthy is Muhammad. They don't say worthy is Allah. They say worthy is the Lamb. Why is he the one who's worthy? Get your pens out. I think you ought to note this. First of all, Jesus Christ alone deserves it all and is worthy of it all by virtue of creation. Write that down. He produced it. Revelation 4, verse 11 tells us this. In Revelation 4, 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Why is the Lamb worthy? By virtue of creation, he produced it. But second of all, by virtue of redemption, he paid for it. He didn't just produce it, he paid for it. Look at what's said in Revelation 5. He says in verse 9, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof. Why? For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. You and I have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. That's what that says. Amen? Worthy is the Lamb. By virtue of creation, by virtue of redemption, and finally, by virtue of preservation. Colossians tells us in Colossians 1 that by Him all things consist. You know, I think sometimes we do get an overinflated opinion of who we are. You know, we're sitting there working away and The day comes where we're kind of tired of the job, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to show that company how much they really needed us. We're going to quit. So we quit. You know what's really unnerving about that? It just keeps going without us. In fact, sometimes it got a little better, and we didn't want to know that. Y'all with me? But I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ quit on the job right now, This whole thing would implode. It wouldn't get better. It would literally fall apart in every way you can imagine. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He deserves it all. By virtue of creation, by virtue of redemption, by virtue of preservation. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 24 and verse 1. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Worthy is the lamb and i want to remind you the devil deserves nothing he gets no credit for anything number one he never produced anything of value he doesn't create things he destroys them 
Number two, the devil never pays for a thing. He's a thief. He robs and he steals. Amen? And finally, he never maintains or preserves a thing. I've fouled the devil into a family, and after he visits, he leaves it in worse condition than he found it. He doesn't build it up. He tears it down. I foul the devil into a church, and once he visits, let me tell you, he doesn't make the church better. He makes it worse. Y'all with me? I fouled him into teenagers' lives that believe his lies, and their life is never better after the devil visits their neighborhood and their life. The devil doesn't deserve a thing. And by the way, you and I don't deserve much praise either. For if there's anything good in you, it's the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. In Revelation 5, this portion of Scripture settles the issue of ownership. It answers that question, who deserves all of this and who does this all belong to? And the resounding answer throughout all eternity is the Lamb of God slain for sinners. But chapters 6 through 18 settle a different issue. I want you to take your Bibles. If you don't have an electronic one, you can do this. And I want you to go ahead and put a finger in Revelation chapter 6. And then I want you to go to Revelation chapter 18. And I want you to hold that little slice of Scripture up. Look at that. Not a lot of pages. I mean, if you look at the entirety of your Bible, that's really not that much. Just hold it up just like that. Right there. Those 13 chapters right there. Chapter 6 through chapter 18. Just hold your Bible out and hold those pages up just like that. Do, that, do what I'm doing right here. All right, you're holding that up. You know what's in those 13 chapters? What everybody wants to figure out. This is what everybody's trying to figure out is coming. In those 13 chapters, you have the rise of the Antichrist, the beast and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. You have a global cast of society in those 13 pages called the Mark of the Beast. In those 13 chapters, you have uh, 21 plagues in sets of seven, increasing in tempo and intensity, unleashed upon this world by the king and pummeling planet Earth. You say, what is that all about? These 13 chapters. Here's what it is. Chapter 5 settles the issue of ownership. Chapter 6 through 18 settles the issue of dominion. Write that word down. These 13 chapters settle the issue of dominion. The 21 plagues crashing upon the earth, the judgments of God unleashed upon this planet. And you say, what is that? It's nothing more than the consummation of the cry. Worthy is the Lamb. Don't miss this. In those 13 chapters, the king is removing the squatters from off his property. That's what's going on. You do in Bible study, college, I just saved you one semester of study right there. For some of you, two, but one for sure. Wow. And as the power of our king is manifested, as he begins to remove the squatters off his property, as he begins to deal with unredeemed mankind, as the gloves of judgment come off and the power of our king is manifested, you find two responses to his power. The first one you find is in Revelation chapter 15. If you go there with me, in Revelation chapter 15... And it's a song of joy in heaven. Look with me in Revelation chapter 15 as the king deals with unredeemed mankind. A song of joy breaks out in heaven. Revelation 15, 1. Notice what's said. It says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, 
Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And look at these next three words. And they sing. As the gloves of judgment come off, as God begins to remove the squatters from off his property, a song of joy breaks out in heaven. Who's singing? Did you notice who's doing the singing? A very unique group here. It says those who had gotten the victory over the beast and the, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. These are Christians that came through incredible <clears throat> persecution. They paid for their stand for the king with their life. And I like what it says, and they sing. I think sometimes we don't see trials for who and what they really are. We spend our entire life avoiding any pain, any suffering, and yet those messengers have incredible value. I wrote in my notes this way, God gives us victories in trials. So we can give him glory through the trial. A number of years ago, I called a young lady. She was a recent widow. Her husband had died young. I called her up on the one-year anniversary of his death. She answered the phone. She had been a student of mine years ago in Alaska in a Christian school. And I called up to just let her know that I missed her man and that I'd been praying for her. And I thanked her for being an encouragement to my family. I'll never forget her response. She began to cry. I said, how's this last year been? And she said to me, this has been the worst year and the best year of my Christian life. It's the worst year because I have lost a man who loved me incredibly and loved the Lord. But it's been the best year of my Christian life because I, I found God to be so real. And I said, well, I wanted to let you know that you're an encouragement to my wife and I. And she began to cry. I said, how can you say that? I said, no, I've not gone through what you've gone through. And yet you stayed faithful to the Lord. And you take away my reason to quit on Jesus Christ when the going gets tough. You know, there's something about a song. It means more when there's no other reason to sing it other than your king. That's it. The song just, it moves to another level when you have no reason to sing. The circumstances are against you, but you belong to him and he belongs to you, and therefore you sing. You remember that song? God wants to hear you sing. Yeah. Why? When? When everything around you is going wrong, God wants to hear you sing. Anybody can sing when things are going well. Anybody can sing when the bank account is good. It's when the joy of the Lord is your strength in the midst of the trials. That song really counts for something. You say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. It's horrible. They went through worse. And you know what I say to you? God wants to hear you sing. God wants to hear you sing. I wrote this little note. I mentioned it to somebody last night, but it's so true. Never allow something that happened to you ever become bigger than what Jesus did for you. Wow. Isn't that good? Never, ne never allow something that happened to you when bad things happen. Welcome to this mud ball. But never allow something that happened to you ever become bigger than what Jesus did for you. God wants to hear you sing.
Amen. Go back to Revelation 15. Look with me. Not only who is singing, but what are they singing? Verse 3 says, and they sing the song of Moses. Go back to Exodus, and let's pick that song up. Exodus chapter 15, one of the first songs you'll find in the Bible. They're singing this song that was written hundreds, if not thousands of years earlier by, by Moses. And notice in Exodus chapter 15, what is the song? What were the stanza? What was this song about? Well, Israel has just been delivered in a supernatural way from the Red Sea, from the hand of Pharaoh. Look at what's said in Exodus 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Here we see the song of Moses. It's what in the future will be sung in heaven by the tribulation saints in Revelation 15. And notice this is a song of victory, deliverance, and triumph over Pharaoh. But you need to understand the setting of this song. Go one chapter earlier and watch this. In chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Piahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be, look at that next word, honored. That is a synonym for glorified, exalted, lifted up, made much about. I will be honored, God says, upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. What a setting. Ten plagues have slammed Egypt, and Egypt is in an utter ruin. Pharaoh's allowed the children of Israel to finally go. But he's allowed them to go with a snarl, not willingly. They've been pried from his grasp by God. And with Egypt in ruins, he reluctantly yields to his counselors and just lets the people go. One day in the wilderness, three days they've gone, one day from the reach of Pharaoh, the children of Israel make what appears to be a strategic blunder. At the instruction of their God, they turn and trap themselves at the Red Sea. Those outposts that have shadowed the Israelites on their departure, they see this blunder. This is a major blunder. They're, they're down a canyon, trapped by the sea. There's no escape. And the word flickers back. And runner after runner brings it back and says, Pharaoh, you cannot believe where they are, here's your chance to get even with them and their God for what he's done for you once and for all. What appears to be accidental is intentional. Scripture tells us God did not lead them in the most direct way. He had them turn intentionally. You see, because what we sometimes forget is even though Pharaoh had allowed them to leave, Pharaoh had refused to give God something that belonged only to God. It was a possession that only God deserved. It was glory and honor. Look with me in verse 17, and God notes this. He says, And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians... And they shall foul them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, not Pharaoh. When I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Here's a takeaway statement tonight. This thing will hit you hard. But it is who our God and our King is. 
Here's the takeaway statement. Whether you give it or whether he takes it from you, God will get the glory. Wow. Whether you give it, that is a voluntary action. That is a humbling of myself and lowering myself and exalting God with my lips and with my life. That is a voluntary, whether I give it or whether I force him to take it from me in judgment. God will get the glory. And boy, you say that, and somebody almost wants to say, why? Why does he get the glory? Because Matthew 6 says this, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the... Say it again. And the glory. For how long? Forever and ever. Amen. And as the Lord takes the glory, go back to Revelation with me. Revelation chapter 16, as the Lord takes the glory that's due Him, the glory that belongs only to Him, from the lives of those who took what belonged to Him and gave it to another, a cry of rage literally breaks out upon earth. Look at what's said in Revelation 16. And notice how the glory was taken from God in verse number 2. And the first went, these are the vile judgments, and poured out his vial upon the earth, and they fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. The very first vial is a judgment of God to men who took what, what should have been given to God, and they gave it to a false god, and he judged them for it. He judged them. And notice their response in verse 9. God turns the water to blood. He turns up the temperature of the sun. In verse 9, men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And look at this. They repented not to give him what? Glory. And you know how the king responds? In verse 21, he sends 75-pound hailstones and pummels and levels planet Earth. Oh, we're there today. We are there where there's this cry of rage and a fist shaking in God's face that literally says, Who do you think you are? How dare you tell me how to live? How dare you tell me who I can sleep with? How dare you tell me how to talk and how to act? I do not accept your rules. I do not accept your morals. And I do not accept your authority. I am God, not you. And there is coming a day, and I am shocked here, after all of that, they still repented not. You say, what a mean God. What a foolish creation that would strive with their maker in that way to steal from him what isn't theirs and expect that God to go quietly. Whether you give it or whether you force him to take it from you, God will get the glory. I don't know about you, but I'd rather give him what's due his name, amen, than forcing him to take it from me in judgment. Notice in Philippians 2, and we're about done tonight, in Philippians chapter 2, look at what's said here. A very familiar portion of Scripture, but Philippians 2 says in verse number 9 that he has given Jesus Christ a name which is above every name. Philippians 2, 9. In verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There at the cross, I don't remember how it all goes, but it had the chorus is it. Glory to His name. Amen? 
You know, as we close tonight, I have two questions for you. Question number one is this. If you're tuning in online or you're here, have you settled the issue of ownership? Are you saved? Could you sing the song that I can sing? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Can you sing it? Can you sing that in your heart? Have you settled the issue of ownership? Can you sing the song? Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. How long? Not for the sake of time alone, but for eternity. If you're here tonight, tuned in, and you've never settled the issue of ownership, you need to go to the Lamb of God who was slain for your sins, who has the power to save you, cleanse you, redeem you, buy you back, and put you in his family forever and ever. Amen. But if you're here tonight and you say, oh, preacher, I've settled the issue of ownership, let me ask you this. Have you settled the issue of dominion? I meet believers all the time. That when Jesus shows up and wants to go ahead and direct their life a certain way, they forget. They forget they're not their own. They've been brought with a price. Therefore, they ought to glorify God in their body and in their spirit, which both belong to God. And when Jesus shows up to order the property, our life, we treat him like he's the squatter. What are you doing here? Why would you tell me to live that way? This is where I want to go. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to watch, see, and be. The song says it so well. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Why would we sing that? Because the ownership's been settled. Now we need to yield in the area of dominion. He owns us. Every bit of us. And we ought to glorify him now with our body. Notice it's not just some ethereal body and spirit, which both belong to God. You're here tonight saved. Praise the Lord you've settled the issue of ownership. But have you settled the issue of dominion? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Why? Because he owns us. And whether we give it, or whether even as a possession of his, we force him to take it from us, our God, who's now our Father, will still get the glory. Let me say this. If anybody should know better than to steal the glory from the Heavenly Father, it ought to be the children. They should know better than to steal what belongs to Dad. Amen? And so tonight, I pray you've settled the issue of ownership. And if you have, the bigger question, and as American believers, this is our battleground. It's what I preached last night. Loveless, lifeless, lukewarm. It'll all be... We struggle with the issue of dominion. Let him have his way with thee. He'll do a better job with your life than you will. Promise. Promise. Let the owner have his way in whatever area of life he's tapping you tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this thought. Thank you for the power of our King. Father, thank you for the possession, the glory that belongs to him alone. And Lord, I pray tonight for the one who may never have settled the issue of ownership. May tonight be the night that they come to know your Son as their Savior. May they belong to Jesus Christ by the time this night is over. But Father, for each of us that, that are saved and we know we belong to you and we've made peace with you through the blood of Calvary, Lord, forgive us for our spirit that so often strives against you. Our attitudes that aren't right words and conversation they're just they're not becoming a believer the things we say the attitudes we possess the activities sometimes we have no business being a part of lord would you cleanse and forgive us and help us lord to just drop the reins we yield to you father we want you to have dominion over 
us, we purchased possessions. Help us not to force you to take from us what we should give you voluntarily. Glory with our lips and with our life. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, music's playing. Slip out and come. If you want to come and just pray, just ask the Lord. Maybe work in an area of your life. You slip out and come. Go ahead and sing that song, brother. Just for a moment. Ownership and dominion. Ownership and dominion. Be thou exalted forever and ever. God of Grab a hymnal, page 57. Page 57, let's sing a couple of those verses together. Page 57. On the first. Be thou exalted forever and ever, God of eternity, the ancient of days, wondrous in wisdom, majestic in glory. Thou exalted by seraphs and angels, be thou exalted with harp and with song, saints in the anthems of rapture adore thee, I need the glory. open and our heads up how many would express by the uplifted hand I thank God enough I always give him the glory he deserves and I couldn't possibly do any better could I please see your hand right now <laughs> all right you know what I got out of that tonight Lord say get down on your knees I don't thank him nearly enough <clears throat> and you know what I don't give him the glory he deserves. And I decided tonight I'm not going to be as stupid as an unsaved man in the tribulation and withhold that from him. Yeah. So if you're with me here tonight and you're in the same boat, why don't you just take this opportunity, humble yourself, come forward to an altar. Yes, other people will see you. And bow to him and tell him how much you adore him as we sing this song. What verse, brother? For number two. Number two on the second verse. Be thou exalted, O Son of the Highest, Savior of sinful men, Redeemer and King, one with the Father, co-equal in glory, humbly we from sin, God of our forges, 
and Lord of salvation, ruler of hell and earth, thy praises we sing. Be thou exalted by seraphs and angels, be thou exalted with harp and with song, saints in the glory forever and ever. Wow, that was good tonight. I didn't see that coming. I knew he'd have to cover a lot of ground tonight. But that was the way to do her. You know, as a preacher, you realize after, after decades that you can't go wrong exalting Jesus Christ. You just can't. The old timers would just say, lift up Christ, lift up Christ. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. You know, I was thinking of the, uh, he was talking about that, the, the, the stubbornness and obstinance, uh, which, by the way, comes from Satan. Isaiah 14, I will, I will, coming up against God. But I got thinking of that, you know, I don't accept your order. Some say, I don't even accept my God-given gender. Look how far this thing has gone, folks. I mean, are we just about there or what? And uh, if you want to see what uh, uh, abortion's all about, just grab that article of mine that I wrote some time ago. It's still out in the foyer there, hard copy. It's on the Internet. But it was the title of it is The Idolatry of Abortion and the Death of Roe v. Wade. And, and the whole idea is the feminist, and in particular the woman who's going to have an abortion, is saying, I will decide if this person is a person. And then if I decide it's a person, it gets to live. And if I decide it's not, it dies. You know who that is? That's God talking. That's God talking. You want to know what all the fervor is about it? That's what it is. It's that, it's that self-will in there. Folks, we're closer than we know. We are closer than we know. And of course, as we talked about not too long ago on a Sunday morning, Psalm 2, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He'll have them in derision. You're not going to rain on God's parade. And man, oh man, I'll tell you what, I, I don't think it could be put any better. Uh, give him the glory. Don't make him take it from you. And when you think about it, you can almost understand it with a lost man. Because he's under the spell of the prince and the power of the air. But folks... We're bought with a price. If anybody should know that he deserves the glory out of our lives, lock, stock, and barrel, body, soul, and spirit, it should be us. You can almost understand a lost person not getting it, but we are bought with a price. And I like that. Ownership, amen. We love talk about that. But the next question is dominion. And uh, let's be wise about this, and let's give him that dominion. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. I know I needed that, and uh, I'm sure it would profit all of us.